Well, we've been in this series, and each week, the past couple of weeks, I've mentioned why it's been so difficult to dive into a series like this because of what we bring to the table and how many people are experiencing things. But I want to flip all that on its head right now, and I want to tell you, probably for everyone here, some of our happiest moments, some of our deepest, richest times in life are tied to marriage, are tied to family. Our, our experiences with our families have touched us deeply and they make life worth the living. It's an exciting life. It's a, a life that drives us closer to God. It's a life that makes us mature. It's a life that changes everything about us. Marriage is beautiful. It's awesome. I love being married. Be almost 37 years this, this spring. And it's exciting to think about what's ahead after the years that we've had. Has every year been easy? No. Have there been ups and downs? Yes. Have we had trials? Yes. Just like everyone else. Have we raised children? Have we wondered what we're doing? Yes. All of those questions. But in the midst of all of it, God is doing amazing things. And so I want to move us in a new direction this morning as we look at some of these things. And one of the big takeaways you and I need to know is that God has a plan. He has a plan for your marriage. He has a plan for my marriage. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan for my family. It doesn't matter where you are. God is at work. He's doing amazing things. Now, some of us that are stuck or wondering, hey, I hear what you're saying, but we need help. We are providing that. We have a marriage class coming up. It's called Better Together. Now, I'm just going to be straight up with all of you. I've done a lot of premarital counseling over the years. Lots. Kathy and I have done it together. We have tried as best as we could to bring people into the Word, show them patterns out of the Word of God of how to live, and then we tell them this at the end of our series, our end of our sessions, Kathy and I just look them straight in the eye and we say, if you want a good marriage, not just an okay marriage, if you want a great marriage, you have to invest money, time, and energy into that relationship. It will not just happen. And let me just tell you, a lot of people hear that, but they don't really hear it. We tell them our own story. Kathy and I made a commitment. Our first five years of marriage, we were going to be in a marriage conference every year, the first five years. We invested money, we invested time, we drilled down into our relationship. Three times, Kathy and I set aside eight-day retreats to drill down into our marriage, into our family, into our relationship, into our calling with God. Thousands of dollars have been invested. And let me tell you, every dime that we invested in our marriage, in our relationship, in our family is a major significance. Let me say it a little differently. Every dollar we put into soccer, music lessons, and all the schooling that we've done pales in significance to building the foundation that God has for us. So this class, I want to encourage you, jump 
in. You can go online either on our website or on our app. It's going to be right here, 10 weeks. It's going to have some video. It's going to have some discussion. Pastor Chris, our family pastor, is going to be uh, facilitating all of that. It'll be at 1030 starting March 21st. All you have to do is go on our app and register for that, or you can go to our website, you can register. But what I want to encourage is let's reject passivity and let's accept some leadership. Now I want to do a call out to the men. Instead of sitting there waiting for your wife to jab you with the elbow, instead of waiting for her to say, hey, wouldn't this be a good idea? How about you guys taking the lead and saying, we're going to be there? And start eliminating the roadblocks, the barriers, anything that would stop you, and let's invest in this. So now this morning, as we move into the excitement of marriage and some new directions, uh, we're going to be doing some texting, and I'm going to lay some of that out. So on my slides, you'll see a text number. You can see this in the bottom of the slide in the left corner, and I want to encourage you, pull out your phone now, be ready, something may come out in the middle of the message, and you're like, whoa, whoa. We need to talk about that, and we want you to text that. If you're online, we're excited you're watching this morning, and we want to encourage you, please participate in all of this. So as we think about these different things this morning, here's the question. We know that the foundation of our marriage as believers, as Christ followers, is love. God's love first and foremost, and then the love that he pours out in our hearts by the Spirit has to get lived out. We know that. But there's something that happens, and it's the issue of trust. So this morning, we're going to talk about where trust comes from, but primarily how do we develop trust in our marriages? As it erodes in so many marriages across the country, how are we at Box Valley Church going to build trust into our relationships? If you have your Bible, would you join with me? We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And you say, wait a minute, this passage isn't about marriage. It's about the church. Yes, it's about the church. And do you know that the church is so often compared to a family? And so, so many of the principles, so many of the ideas that we see about the church apply to marriage. And so we're going to look at some of these things today out of this short passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Please follow along as I read. Paul wrote this. He said, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress, anguish of heart, and with many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Father, we're gathered together in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're asking that you would speak to our hearts. 
And help us, God, to hear your voice in the midst of all these things. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we've been talking the last couple of weeks, let's remember that God has a plan. Now, the plan that we've been laying out here at Fox Valley Church, Pastor Chris developed this about two years ago. We're looking at three elements that become really, really significant. So let me give you the overall picture here. The first one is we're in the series Family Matters. Marriage is this bridge that God designed. We didn't design it. He designed it. He thought it all up. He thought about sex. He thought about men. He thought about women. He thought about children. He thought it all up exactly how he wanted this to be lived out. And he wanted the bedrock of this to be a covenant relationship. Not a contract, a covenant. A contract is just simply something legal. Something you try to hold together by legal forces. But this covenant is built in Jesus' name, in his integrity, because God is present. We make promises to one another before a true and living God called vows, and that starts becoming the foundation of this. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more this morning why I'm using the visual of a bridge. The bridge becomes really, really important because it was God's plan to use us in a marital relationship, families, to do his work. And we'll see that in just a moment. You can see a splash of those words of listen, lead, love, lead. So, or uh, love first. I'm sorry, let me get there. Love, I'm sorry. Listen to God. The first one is listen to God, right? We've talked about that. How important it is that we as Christ followers, listen to God's word. Now, a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, marriage, the way God designed it, is archaic. It doesn't fit with the contemporary world, and it's out of step with all the new developments in marriage today. And I want to say, whoa, wait a minute, how did you get there? Did you get there with appropriate ways of reading the Bible? And is that really what God is saying? Right? And so we've been talking about this. And Jesus brings us to a place where he now defines marriage in Matthew 19, and that's where we were. We need to listen to God and his ideas. Also, we need to listen to God day to day. I wake up just like you do in the morning wondering, okay, God, what do I have to do? And I need to stop. I need to pause. I need to listen to God to what he has for me that day. God, how can I love my wife better today? How could I love my children? How could I love my grandchildren? Right? We need to take this seriously. We need to listen to God. When our hearts are being racked with pain because of some of the brokenness, some of the hurt, some of the hardship that we've endured, it's wise to listen to God. And we've talked a lot about that. The second one is love one another. That's what we started in last week. And one of the primary ways we love is by bringing people into, first of all, God's big story. we got to work in a culture that is now becoming more uh, resistant to God's big story. They've created their own. And we need to bring our own lives into God's big story. But then God brings our story into his big story so that our little stories matter. 
And you and I need to bring our marriages and our children, our grandchildren into our stories connected with God. That is a very loving thing to do. I got to say, I'm very proud of my three children. All my children are married. Two of my children have children. And Kathy and I look seriously at the next generation. And we want to help them understand the big story, the little story, and all that God's been doing in our marriage and in our family for now uh, as he raised up a whole new generation of believers. It is so exciting. But then we also have to live out the word of loving one another. It does no good, as James says, to look in the mirror, walk away, and forget what we look like. We need to be showing love to one another. And the scriptures talk about that, right? The two greatest commandments. Love God, but what's the second one? Love your neighbor. Who's your nearest neighbor? Could I suggest that it's your spouse? Could I suggest that it's your children? Could I suggest that it's your grandchildren? And if you're old enough, great-grandchildren, right? We are to show them love. And not just a sentimental love, but a love that shows sacrifice because it's built on the cross. Jesus Christ, who demonstrated, showed his love by dying. That's why we got to die to ourselves and we live for others. And by the way, that's what's killing our culture today, isn't it? People cannot, will not, and even Christ followers will not die to themselves. We need to do that. At Fox Valley Church, we call it full surrender. We need to surrender our hopes and dreams, plans and purposes, all to the hopes and dreams, plans and purposes of God. And that's where we'll find freedom. Then we also have the third one, we need to lead into mission. Now, I want to be very, very uh, clear on this, why I'm saying this. This is going to be a very divisive issue for a lot of people. But I've been a pastor for a long time now. It'll be 29 years. I've watched a lot. I've watched people come to church. I've watched people bring their kids to church. I've watched them walk out of here. What Emily just shared a few moments ago becomes critical to the vitality of your children's faith. Do they see it as real? Do they see it as deep? And do they see it as genuine? Leading into mission is the only way that I have ever seen become a game changer for families. Now, if you don't want to be a game changing family, tune me out and let it go. When I say leading into mission, I'm talking about we need something to organize our families and lead. We can't lead without mission. You can't do it. You'll spend your money on all kinds of things. You'll spend your time in all kinds of ways, but mission begins to hone, define, and shape. Now, why am I so strong on this? Let me give you a couple of reasons. One thing you'll never do in heaven is tell and share the story of Jesus with the urgency that we have on earth. There will not be lost people in heaven. There will not be far, people far from God in heaven. God designed marriage, Genesis chapter 1, in the context of spiritual warfare. In Genesis chapter 1, a lot of people miss this. It says we are to subdue and rule. Well, there's nothing to subdue and rule if there's not a spiritual war on. 
Then in Genesis 2, we get the garden and we get the creation of Eve. But in Genesis 1, we see God made them male and female in the context of spiritual war to subdue and rule. There was some encroaching darkness that was taking place. Marriage and family is a colorful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we live in our families without being on mission and our children seeing that we take mission seriously, they're going to start to wonder what your faith is all about. When you're sitting around the kitchen table and you're praying and seeking God to touch lost people in your family, to touch people far from God, that has a way of shaping the hearts and minds of your kids. But talk can be cheap. When your kids watch you live on mission, then they say, whoa, mom is serious about her faith. Dad is serious about his faith. Especially when they see some resistance or hardship. When they see that mom and dad don't back down. So leading into mission, if you want a strong family built in the purposes and plans of God, you need to lead into mission. So this is God's plan. Let me just say it real quickly. Listen to God. Love one another and lead into mission. Lead into mission. Well, this morning I raised the question that we wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of trust. Now, I'm using the bridge because in this world, we're bridging. There is no marriage in heaven. There is no family like this in heaven. You will know your spouse. You will live for eternity with your spouse. Of course, if they're followers of Jesus Christ, right? If they put their trust. But this bridge idea is how do we live now in this world? And we need trust. Now, trust is the glue that holds relationships together. Let me just say that again. Trust is the glue. All of us know what broken trust feels like. That's why we talk about divorce. The glue didn't hold. Trust was broken. That's why we call divorce the death that keeps on dying, is we have to keep dealing with trust issues. How can I trust when my mom walked out on our family? How can I trust when my dad walked away from his responsibilities? Now, I don't point fingers. We all need the grace of God, every one of us. And just because some people have held their relationship together doesn't mean that it's really been built on the trust of Jesus Christ, right? We need this. I need it every day. Kathy and I, we need it every day to rely on the grace, power, and goodness of God. And trust then becomes this this glue. Let me say it a little differently. Trust grows up out of the soil of love. Trust grows up out of the soil of love. And we'll see that in just a moment because in 1 Corinthians 13... The Apostle Paul talks about love, believes all things, but it says love trusts all things. So love becomes really, really foundational. God is love, 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16. Our love 
is coming from him. The world has no explanation for love apart from a, a personal God that loves. He then says when you trust Christ, he's pouring out his love into our hearts. And that becomes very, very significant. Trust is now an important part of our relationship, of our relationships in our family. All of us have experienced betrayal of trust, right? As I've already said, we've had friends turn away from us. We've had friends reject us. All of those are betrayals of trust. Many of us, probably all of us, have told deep secrets to other people and have had them repeated by other people and you feel the violation of the trust. Some of us are living in marriages where there's been an unfaithful partner. That's a violation of trust. And it takes years and years to build trust back, right? So that becomes significant. We know that trust doesn't come easily for some of us because of some of our experiences with trust. So let's go a little deeper. And the first thing I want to talk about as we look at trust this morning is that communication is, is really, really significant to building trust. Now, I've put some verses up there to help us with this so that we can navigate this together. Uh, as anybody that has followed my preaching over the years, I take the wisdom literature very, very seriously. Much of the Bible is written with wisdom in mind. I've shared this with you over this series, is that we need to take time and reflect on this. And look what the uh, wisdom literature is giving us. In Proverbs 18.2, it says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding. Do you want to be a fool? Nobody wants to be a fool. Because the flip side is that wise women, wise men, wise husbands, wise wives seek to understand their spouse. Look what it says. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but rather these fools delight in airing their own opinions. Communication is so important. And if we want to build trust in our relationships, if we want to do that, there's a saying Stephen Covey uses, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Seek first to understand and then be understood. Remember, fools don't want to understand. So how do you do that? You sit down in a communication style and you say, tell me what's going on. Now remember, the bridge is trust. When people start opening up their heart to you, they're being vulnerable. They're sharing some of the deepest parts of their lives. And they want to know that you're going to guard it, that you're going to protect it, that they are safe with you. That's what communication does. It, it, it builds this bridge of safety. Look at the second one here, Proverbs 18, 13. To answer before listening is folly and shame. How many men, they just launch off on something without ever really listening? Now, communication the way I want to define it this morning as we talk about it, is opening our hearts to another person and receiving 
another person's heart. Now, why am I saying it that way and not using verbal, words, talking? I'm going to tell you why. Men and women are very different. God has wired women oftentimes with more verbal abilities than men. Just part of the wiring that God has put in. So women often measure communication only in categories of words and verbal. That's why I'm saying communication is opening my heart to another person and receiving another person's heart. Men often are less verbal and what? More active. So how does a man show his love? How does he show his openness? Often through action. So when a husband, a man, goes to work every day, Part of that is his expression of love to his wife and to his family. When a man perseveres in a relationship, by the way, not verbal, but perseveres, he stays in the game, he's communicating to his family, I love you, you matter to me. And that bridge of trust gets stronger and stronger because it's the glue. It's the man showing with his feet when he walks away from his marriage and his family his lack of love. He may never use words, but by his actions. Now women, on the other hand, even if they're working full-time, often use more verbal cues to communicate love. And that's the way God's wired them. Now God wants this blending of a husband and wife together with appreciation for the differences. So, as the proverb says, to answer before listening is folly and shame. So, wives need to listen by looking at the actions of their husband. It doesn't mean the husband's off the hook for verbal. Just saying we're wired differently. And husbands need to listen to their wives' words. And if a husband can't repeat back his words, then slow down. You haven't communicated. If a husband can't listen to his wife and say, let me repeat what I think you're saying, and she says, yeah, that's it, you haven't communicated. And trust is so built on communication. Look at this last one here. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. The power of all of life. Do you believe that what you say can bring life to your spouse? Can bring life to your children? Can bring life to your grandchildren? Or it can bring death. I've shared this story over and over because it's been so powerful. I had a third grade teacher. I'll leave her nameless, but I can picture her in my mind's eye like it was yesterday. And she looked at me as a third grade. I was nine or ten years old. She said, you are lazy. I'll never forget those words. 
You are lazy. Those are words of death. And those who love it, either the death or life, will eat its fruit. If you are a man and you are using harsh, bitter, angry words and reckless words towards your spouse or your kids, you're bringing death and you're going to get the fruit of death. If you choose as a man to bring life, words of life and healing and blessing and encouragement and power and energy, you'll get the fruit of that as well. You see what the Proverbs do? They don't tell you what to say, how to say it, but it tells you, here's what's going to happen if you don't communicate carefully. So this becomes a very significant part of building our bridge of trust, communication. And we need to look at how to do it. Let me move to another one if you want to build a bridge. It's the bridge of honesty. Honesty. Proverbs 12, 20, Proverbs 12, 22. Look what it says. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. When I made a vow to Kathy, and Kathy made a vow to me, we'll be the first ones to tell you it's not been easy. We've said things we wish we could take back. We've done things we wish we could delete. We've not always been honest in our feelings, our thoughts, and our attitudes. And we've got to repent of that and work on it. Honesty is so critical. You know that a dishonest person erodes trust. People that have secrets in their marriages, it erodes trust. People that tell half-truths in their marriages erode trust. Honesty is so, so important. Look what else the proverb says. 10.9 Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. That means you do what you say and you say what you do. There's not compromise. And if you do, you're sacrificing trust and you will not bridge the hard things of life. Kathy and I have had to work on building a safe place to talk about everything in our life. Hard things, good things, fun things, hopes, dreams, everything. Honesty becomes so important. We cannot sacrifice that. Let me hit the third one, and then we'll get to some texting. Respect. Respect. It's so important. You know, it says, husbands, love your wives. And then it says how to love them. Lay down your life. Give up yourself. But then it says to wives, respect your husbands. Men need respect. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. It's very hard to receive correction if you don't feel respected. I wrote this down. 
I don't need a godly wife. I don't need a godly wife to tell me when I'm wrong and I know that I'm wrong. I need a godly wife to tell me that I'm wrong when I think I'm right. Are you ready to receive some correction? Respect is so important. If I didn't know that my lover respected me, I wouldn't be able to receive so many of the things that we need to. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty. Obviously talking about pride. Pride is all about me. And if it's about me, then how am I respecting my partner? That's what pride is. And really, you want to know the bottom line, the the netted out for you why there's so much divorce? Pride. Pride, it becomes all about me. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gains honor. So, as we build a bridge of trust, there's communication, there's honesty, and there's respect. wanted to share one more thing that I wrote down. <clears throat> Pornography destroys, it denigrates, and damages people. Way too much pornography in the church today. It's one of the most disrespectful things you can do to your spouse. Whether you're a woman looking at porn, and obviously predominantly men, it's destroying, it's damaging, because it shows her no respect. And at Fox Valley Church, we have a group. It's called Forged. Very confidential, very discreet. I don't even know everybody that's in the group. But if you need help, Forged. You can email them, forged, F-O-R-G-E-D, at foxvalleychurch.org. That goes to one man, a couple men, in the group, and they will help you deal with this. Don't go it alone. It's destroying you, and it's destroying your marriage. Well, this morning I told you we are going to do some texting. In order to do some texting, I wanted to bring up some communication experts. Uh, Pastor Brad... Uh, is a man of many words. He loves to communicate, and uh, he's a good communicator. And uh, Emily is our communication director. Could we welcome them up here? And uh, they're going to deal with some of the text thing as we go forward. No pressure, right? The way you set that up, brother. Um, yeah, Emily and I recognize, right, we, we've been married for a little over eight years, so give us a little grace this morning as we navigate some of these questions. Last week, Tom got some tough ones. CJ did not hold back, so uh, we'll, we'll see what we got. Uh, the first one uh, that came in uh, said this. It says, if trust is the glue in marital relationships and communication is critical to building trust, what are some things you have done to improve communication, therefore improve trust? And what have you done that hurt communication, therefore weaken trust? Does that make sense? It does, and it's pretty packed together. There's yeah. a lot there. Yeah, what do you think? Do you have something to add to say to that? Um, what have we done to improve 
communication and trust and that builds trust yeah if, if if I think Tom was emphasizing that communication is a key part to building trust so what are some things that we've done to improve our communication which in turn improves trust okay so I will say for the first handful of years of marriage we were very bad at communication yeah um, his family is a very external with their communication they over communicate to the point mm-hmm. of like oh my gosh stop talking my family <laughs> under communicates and drives him absolutely nuts mm-hmm. absolutely nuts so if you're watching i we don't love you yeah we do <laughs> yeah <laughs> gotta be careful with the live stream you know um <clears throat> but so we've we've had to work on our communication a lot yeah. So, um, me learning to communicate more of what I need, because I'm a very internal processor, just mm. really would like to assume Brad knows what I need, and, that, and that's not good ever. And so, one thing that we've learned over the time of our marriage, of our eight years, is to communicate ahead of time. Communicate before the problem comes, because mm. in eight years, yeah. we've known mm. these are our consistent problems. This is where we consistently fall into what we call intense fellowship. And so... Um, <laughs> communicate ahead of the time about our expectations, mm-hmm. our wants, our needs, our desires. Um, and then you're able to say, hey, that expectation maybe isn't so fair. So then let's talk about why that's not fair. Or, so communicating ahead of time, I would say, is really important yeah. for us. I think how that's actually looked is like the night before or the weekend before or even the morning of. At the latest, the morning of, I ask Emily, like, hey, what, what are your hopes and dreams? I think I actually usually use that language, hopes right? And dreams, yeah. yeah, what are your hopes and dreams for today? Or what are your hopes and dreams for this weekend? Because I want to make it happen, you know? And if it's something unrealistic, then we can talk about it and work it out. But if it is something like she really wants to work out today or she wants time away from the kids, I'm going to be extra intentional. And if I didn't ask you, I probably would just do things that made me feel good that I wanted to do. So it having that communication is huge because it's really tied into expectations. I don't know if you would agree, but so much of like when we have three little kids, we have these expectations of what we want a day to look like, what we want a Saturday to look like. And if we're not on the same page, then obviously that can come crashing down, which it has many times. Many times. I, we, we, did, we have joked a lot about the intense fellowship thing, that we don't fight, we have intense fellowship. I, I'm going to change that a little bit. Now that we have kids, we do we kind fight. of fight. We, <laughs> yeah, fight. we do. Man, the kids just bring it out in a, whole, in a whole new way that we've had to navigate. So then the other part was how have, have we, you hurt? Have we yeah. hurt our yeah. trust? Um, and I would say sharing everything that's on my mind has definitely hurt. It's been a part of communication that's hurt our trust. Um, Because it's really easy for me as a mom, as a a working mom, um, to start believing lies about myself and believing lies about my husband and the things that he thinks of me or how Mm. he values me or doesn't value me. Um, And so when I'm believing those lies and going down this rabbit trail of like thinking all these bad, wrong things, I can start to like accuse him of things that he hasn't even been thinking. And so for Mm. me, it's like, process things with the Lord before I process them with you for the most part if I know I'm going down this like this rabbit trail of like believing lies so maybe just don't share everything that's on your mind before you take time to like pray about it Mm, yeah and I I don't know if you would say this has damaged your trust of me like I hope it hasn't but it probably has contributed some is one of the things that I do and I, I I realized that I did it and now I'm really trying to work on it but I'm still probably stinking at it. And that is, I, I don't want to hurt Emily's feelings. And so like when there's something either convicting or just she's doing something that's bothering me or I feel like for whatever it is, I don't come out right and just say it because I don't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to be mean. And again, in an effort to not get to the point and say it, to not hurt your feelings, 
I beat around the bush, and I work myself in this horrible place. Like, I'm just digging deeper and deeper in the ground, and what ends up usually happening is I'm psychoanalyzing her and her behavior and why she does the things that she does. I don't know how it gets there. I, I just don't know, but after like 10 minutes, she's really quiet. She's worked herself in a corner, and I'm like, I just wanted you to get the trash, or I don't know, whatever it was, and I just didn't want to come out and say it. So kind of in a different way, like, be honest and say what it is. Don't be, I don't mm-hmm. think it's helpful. If it doesn't need to be said, you don't need to beat around the bush. And I think Tom just nailed it on the head. Like, are we Watch able to um, accept correction from our spouse? And, like, you don't want to hurt my feelings because I probably have modeled that I'm not willing to accept oh. godly mm. correction from you. Mm. So I think that We're would be We're working on that. Both, both of us yeah. are. Yeah, that's good. Uh, a singleness question came in. Um, Let's pull it up. It says, what can the unmarried people do when they're not a part of a marriage? So what what can singles do when they're not part of a marriage? Let me just start, and then maybe you could weigh in. The first thing I want to say is it's really easy for, as a married person, to just say, oh, you're single and enjoy it, and God's got a plan. So I just want to be sensitive that some of you are widows, some of you have never been married and you're older and, and you want to get married, some of you are younger, and so just receive how we answer this with a, with a grain of salt in that we, we, we don't know your shoes, we don't know your situation other than before we got married, obviously. But do you have any thoughts? So um, so First Corinthians uh, 7 came to mind. Let me pull it up. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly like verses 32 to 34. Um, I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, Mm -hmm. and his interests are divided. And so when I read this before marrying Brad, it was this strong conviction of the unmarried person has an undivided devotion to the Lord and can pursue the things of the Lord Mm -hmm. without the the worries of the spouse. And, um, And Tom pressed into like... The point of marriage is mission. Hmm. And so I'm going to bring this up, and I don't know if you're prepared to talk about this. But before we, um, before we, when we were dating, I, I kind of gave Brad an ultimatum. Like, I'm going to go to um, Africa and do a oh, year man. worth of missions. And he's like, I don't know if I'll be here when you get back. <laughs> and so it was this thing of like, hmm, I feel very called into mission So do I Mm. want to do this as a single woman and have undivided devotion to the Lord? Or Mm. do I feel like the Lord has provided me with Brad in in an effort for us to do mission together? If mission is the point of marriage, like mission Mm. can also be the point of singleness. So you either have an undivided devotion to the Lord or you're doing mission together as a married couple. So maybe I'm getting into the weeds and this isn't helpful. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I mean, and you've probably heard what Jesus says in Matthew 22 about, like, there's not marriage in heaven. Tom referenced it earlier in the message, which means marriage is not itself an ends, right? It's, it's not the ultimate ending. Um, otherwise, there would be marriage in heaven, right? So marriage is pointing to something. It's there not for just itself, but for something else. And I think that's perfectly tied into what you're saying. I went ahead and pulled up that passage because I think uh, you read from later in 1 Corinthians 7, but earlier in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul addresses the unmarried. He says, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried. It's good as I do, right? That's someone who's got skin in the game. He's not married. Paul's not married. And he's saying it's good. 
Um, and he says, but if you can't control yourself, he's talking about sexual desires, you should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. I don't think it's helpful for us to look at it uh, in a tier of, is it really better to be married or is it better to be unmarried? I think it's better to look at God's calling for your life. And so whoever asked that question and any singles, I would just say, ask God. Like, like God is using this season, whether it's permanent singleness until God calls you home or whether it's temporary singleness, he's using it because he wants to do something. He wants you to cling to his feet and, and be near him. And I just, I, I would just encourage you, easier said than done, but I would encourage you uh, to really sit at the Lord's feet and ask him, God, what is the purpose you have for me? And then, as Emily so nicely said, just to, to, to go on mission. This is what Paul did, right? He was freed up. And, and, and I always thought that, like, as a married couple, when we had kids, it was going to, like, stomp on mission. Like, I'll be honest, I remember having some uh, hard conversations with even other pastors, and I'm like, I don't want to have kids, because when I have kids, I'm not going to share the gospel, and I'm, all my energy is going to be devoted to them, and they're like, well, your kids are your mission, and so and so on, and, but as we've now had kids, it takes intentionality, but there's a whole new set of doors open mission. There's a whole new set of families that have kids, and there seems to be this community at a certain age. When you have young kids, you can connect with other families with young kids and, and have conversations and hopefully spiritual conversations. So that's really cool. What do you think? It's 1014. Do we have time for one more? You're, you're in charge. I don't know. I'm in charge. Okay. Well, let, let me just pull up and see if any more came in here. Okay. How do you take, this will be the last one, how do you take correction from your spouse when you feel like he doesn't treat you like an equal? Hmm. How do you take correction <laughs> from your spouse when they don't treat you like an equal? Maybe they, this person feels mm -hmm. like the, hus the husband's being demeaning toward them. Well, I would certainly say, like, I don't know your situation, so I don't know if you feel safe with your husband or not. Mm. And so that's certainly something that I don't, I don't feel like I can speak into. If you don't feel safe with your husband, yeah. that's a whole other thing to talk about. Um, but if you do mm. feel that you have some safety and that you feel that you can talk with him about that, like, right, I've started just in the past week, I've been going down these lies of like, mm. I don't really know if Brad values me and the work that I do. And so to find this place to, to, if you feel like you have safety with your husband where you can say, I don't feel valued or yeah. I feel like you demean me. And maybe he's like saying things like hard day of work and he comes home and just uses this language that's, ugh, you know what I mean? And like maybe he's not even aware of it. And so like I said, I don't know your situation, but if you feel that you have a safe place where you can speak honestly mm. with your spouse, I don't feel that you, like I don't feel valued from you, um, then that would be a place where hopefully he can change some of his words towards you because you're working together to serve Christ. Um, I would hope that you don't feel like he's just saying, do all these things, and not, like, working himself to serve Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the trust thing is really important. Like, you have to, as, as Pastor Tom shared, you have to be able to come to a place where you can sit down and have a really honest conversation. And, I, I, yeah, I would start there and just say, like, hey, here's how I feel. You know what I mean? Right, wrong, or indifferent. Like, I, I think it's way better to approach a conversation with saying, here's how I feel, than this is what you've done, mm -hmm. and this is what you do. But maybe they do need to hear that out of the conversation. So, again, we don't know your situation. Maybe you've had these conversations for many, many years. Then maybe I would suggest counseling or bring other maybe pastors or counselors involved who can help navigate some of the personality challenges. Um, but 
I don't know, I find typically when people are in the Word and they're reading the Proverbs, I wrote down what Tom said, in Proverbs 15, 31, it's wise to heed life-giving correction. And you're saying, well, how do I heed life-giving correction from a, a mean person or someone that doesn't value me? And, and I think we just got to be in God's Word. And, and, and I want to point, I want to say one other thing maybe, and we can wrap up unless you have something else. Um, and, and again, you're going to think this is just a worship plug as the worship guy. But I think what can really help strengthen some of your marriages and your family life is to worship as a family. It has a way of softening our hearts. And so and I think some of you read the Bible. Some of you maybe pray together. Do it. I mean, hands down, do it. Like, no debate, no question. Read the Bible and pray together. Not just pray for each other, pray with each other. And then lastly, worship. I mean, we put our kids in the high chairs. We worship together. We turn on some music. They put their hands in the air. And we just sing. And then they, they want some silly kid song right after. So we take turns, right? Silly kid song, worship. Silly kid song, worship. But we're just trying to instill in them worship. And even I find it with myself. We might be a little stressed at each other. I'm feeling this rumbling start. All of a sudden, we turn on some worship music. And totally it's diffuses. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you could close us in prayer, honey. Maybe sure. just pray for whatever God puts on your heart. Sure. Father, thanks for this time and this message. I pray for those who texted in that you would work um, in their hearts with the Spirit to answer some of these mm. deep questions that they have about marriage, about difficult um, communication in marriage. Um, Father, we just pray that as we go out, we would remember, as Tom said, that like mission is the one thing that our children will see mm. is real about our faith. And so mm. I pray that we would take that seriously, that marriage is meant for mission, that we are all, single or married, are meant to live on mission. And Father, we just pray over this time and um, ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, as you leave this morning, have a great week. Remember that Jesus changes everything. It is a melody.